What's up, Vabcasters? It's Arbar here with a 9-11 tribute. I think about 9-11 every year, and I, I think those of us who were alive at the time remember exactly where we were when we heard the news. Uh, September 12, 2001, I was a junior in college at Biola University, and I remember vividly someone pounding on our door it was uh, another student named Jay Fong, and well, we were all in our underwear, and he's pounding on the door, and we open the door in the, in the dormitory there at uh, Thompson Hall, and he says, this is World War Three, man. I'm like, what, what are you talking about, man? So we all went to the, we didn't have cable in our rooms, but we, we walked to the lobby, we turned on the TV, and we saw that the nation was under attack. But by the time we had turned on the TV, uh, both towers up in smoke, and I remember they locked down the school uh, that day. And I didn't take it serious at, at first. I, I, I almost never take things serious and kind of made light of it, made it, making jokes about it, but, but quickly saw how serious it was. And when President Bush at the time I uh, called. It said, "This is. These are not acts of terror. These are acts of war." He called. Uh, you know the uh, the axis of evil. He in and shortly thereafter, um, I had graduated from from Biola and was going to to Talbot Seminary, Talbot School of Theology, and I heard a a Marine who came out of the Battle of Fallujah speak about his experience there. And I knew that uh, I, I wanted to be a minister to those going into that battle. So I, I had joined the service on uh, for for patriotic reasons uh, because I saw that the nation was at war. I knew I, I knew I wasn't a killer. I'm a lover, not a fighter, if I could say that. And and I joined because I wanted to support the guys and minister to the guys and gals that were going into that fight as our country was under attack and that was 2003 um so 9-11 changed the, the the whole trajectory of my life and i was going through my files and i and i i saw it was i used to be a a chaplain of an amphibious amphibious um ship in the Navy called the USS Green Bay. And uh, it was 2011 on a deployment. And I went around the ship with a microphone celebrating the 10th anniversary and interviewed people from New York, from Pennsylvania, from uh, Virginia, Washington DC area, and asked them about their experience. And on the ship, we had the privilege of having a retired Marine and retired NYPD detective, Roger Perino aka blue um, who was on there and, and gave us gave me a full account of his personal experience as a new yorker who was buried in ashes as he came out of uh, world financial building number three and he got buried in ashes so there's there's music to this thing got some moby tracks laid them down um and you'll just hear the testimonies of all these young sailors and Marines from their experience. It's hard to believe now that I look back that's, that that was 
that was almost 20 years ago. Um, when I made this video, it was a 10-year anniversary. But, but when I look at the news now, it's like nothing's ever changed. I mean, back, back then, it was killing, stealing, and destroying in the name of worldview. In that case, it was, it was uh, an ideology that believed that Christians and Jews should die. In Islam, the sin of the shirk is the greatest sin of all that deserves death. The sin of the shirk is to call Jesus the Son of God. In some people's worldview, America is a Christian nation. I don't believe that. But in some people's worldview, because America is seen in their eyes as a Christian nation, then America needs to die. There are some countries that, that chant death to America. Nowadays, there are some Americans on the news that I saw chanting death to America. So that's what I'm saying. This is the same poop, different scoop. 2001 or 2020. People killing, stealing, and destroying in the name of their worldview or their ideology. Whether they're crashing their uh, hijacked planes into buildings or whether they're burning down businesses, smashing people's heads with bricks and enchanting th things that should, they should never say. And so I post this video to the audio just as a reminder that things haven't changed. When people take their eyes off of the Creator God, when they put them on to man things, then they start taking things into their own hands. They start taking justice into their own hands. They start worshiping the creature rather than the Creator. They put their hope in politics. They put their hope in world leaders. They put their hope in everything other than the only true God who died and resurrected and ascended and lives forever. And when we take our eyes off of God and off the kingdom of God, we can get so caught up in everything else that doesn't matter, making things matter more that don't matter most. So I hope as you listen to this, one, you'll see, you'll hear first person perspectives of, of 9-11. And then it causes, it causes you to, to really reflect on What's going on today in 2020 in this pandemic environment and the, these riots and the, the elections coming up? And, and, and my encouragement to everybody is like, let's slow down and, and look. If God is in control, then I don't need to worry. If, he's really in, if God really exists and he's really in control, then what am I worried about? I don't worry about anything. All right, Fabcasters, uh, that's all. I'm going to play this audio track for you. Love you guys. Peace. All I really remember is, uh, is just a smoke. And I look up and I see helicopters flying towards the smoke and it was crazy. It was, uh, that's all I remember really, just, just a smoke. Deliberate and deadly attacks which were carried out yesterday against our country were more than acts of terror. They were acts of war. The uh, World Trade Center has been attacked, the first tower. 
by the time I made it inside my office to watch the news, the second tower got hit. The first thing I told my chief was, uh, when do I leave? I need, I, want to, I need to go to New York. Uh, I want to see my family, make sure they're good. I was actually in uh, eighth grade. Actually, some friends who had uh, family members that were living in downtown New York at the time. So uh, as that day went on, they were getting more and more nervous and trying to figure out if they were okay. But uh, just a tragic day. I was watching the news. I remember thinking it was a movie called My Aunt. She wouldn't answer her phone, so I didn't get a call from her for like four or five hours later. Cause she asked me to call because I was getting ready to uh, graduate from Swick School. You know why she was running late that morning or what caused her to be late? God. That's about the only thing I could think of is God. Turn on the news and just see those bodies falling and it's kind of very unnerving. Cause you're in high school and you don't, you've never seen anything like that, so it was very sad. Everything shut down for the entire day. In fact, I don't think a single teacher taught. All they, all we did all day was watch the news. Guys, see any news coverage on Flight 93? And how close was that to your school? Um, it's not that close to my school at all. But yes, we just saw coverage, and it kind of hit home a lot more when that uh, occurred. Of course, because it was so close, because it was close by, as in in Pennsylvania. I had always thought about joining the military, but. Uh, the instant I saw that, I knew for sure I was joining. I had an aunt who, I, her husband died in one of the towers. Apparently that was, that was kind of hard on part of the family. One of the main reasons why I joined the Navy, because of that. And I feel like I was angry, I was upset. And right there when I graduated, that's when I joined the Navy. I just love this country and I love being an American. My brother actually enlisted in Marine Corps the day after 9-11 uh, happened. A lot of friends of mine did have family that was affected or killed during that. After that, it kind of, it really did kind of motivate me to, to join the military. I was on duty and they told me, they grabbed me and said, here, go up top and I want you to go on the old 10 and look for aircraft. And I was up there wondering what was going on. Then they hit, um, they hit the Pentagon and after, it was just getting closer and closer to Virginia. And I thought, I thought I was gonna, you know, get near Virginia. And I was up there on the O10 looking for aircraft, telling them I see things, and having no idea uh, the impact that it really had until the stories that came out and the news and, and things like that. Then it really started to hit what exactly happened. And life did change big time. The security got way tougher. They sent us to school to shoot guns all of a sudden. Like being out here, sometimes you think it's it's bad but then you remember that people lost a lot more than you could ever imagine. September 11th, 2001 was a Tuesday. On Monday, 
my wife uh, was to attend a three-day seminar at the World Trade Center. On Monday, she attended, and it was up at the windows of the world, which was on top, which, by the way, everybody at that meeting was killed. She tells me she doesn't feel safe and she's not going to go up. The fact is, that turns out to be a big uh, moment because had I not known that she wasn't going to go there, when I, when I show up there, if I would have thought that she was up there, I just would have went directly into, those, into that building trying to thinking I'm going to just walk up there, kick open the door, throw her over my shoulder and bring her down the stairs. So, hard decision not to go there, basically save both our lives. My wife and I dropped um, my, my kids off of school that day. I don't remember what time classes started, but I know that we just dropped them off at 33rd and 3rd and we were at 32nd and 2nd Avenue at Starbucks getting coffee when I first heard the, uh, the, a plane flew into the World Trade Center. I remember thinking that ah, it was probably just a mistake or navigational or lost in the clouds. But that was without realizing it was an extremely clear day. It really didn't sit with me that at this point there was a terrorist attack at all. I heard a huge explosion, which would have been the, uh, the second tower getting hit, the, uh, the south tower, and then I responded down to the World Trade Center. One thing I see is that the uh, it's loads of paper on the floor all over. And one of my biggest memories, the strangest memories, is I just saw loads and loads of shoes. Just the ground was covered in shoes. And I remember thinking, what the hell is this? Is this uh, was one of the planes full of shoes or something? I was at a shoe factory up at the World Trade Center. But it turned out to be, I learned later on, that that was the people evacuating, especially the women, were just running out of their shoes. As I'm walking uh, the south side of the World Trade Center site, I see uh, a big engine. So I tried to uh, get the serial number off the engine. But I had to do it in between debris falling off the building. You had so much time, because it was so high up, that uh, I had a guy spotting for me. He would tell me when he saw something coming down and I would just walk back to the cover of a building, the debris would fall and I'd go back out and uh, try to get the serial number. I saw quite a few people jumping uh, from the building. Some were, you could see that they were just comfortable jumping knowing that they were gonna die. Others were still trying to fly when they jumped. It made me wonder whether they actually knew that they jumped, maybe that they were walking through smoke and then they just missed, they just walked out, out of the building and not realized it. And then others looked like they were falling, looked like they were dead already to me. And the reason why I say that there was just absolutely no movement in them and that they were coming out sideways or something like that. I don't know if they were getting pushed out, people trying to get closer to the air or whatever. I believe I saw that. But the, no the impact bodies made when they hit the roof of the buildings or the ground outside was a pretty dramatic sound. If you can imagine when you were a kid when you used to fill up balloons or, or plastic bottles and throw them out windows, listen to them pop, that's exactly what the sound was. I'm on the landline. The phone is on a civilian's desk. I'm just using some civilian's desk. And the phone starts uh, uh, shaking. It starts moving across the uh, table. It was Tower 2, which was the second building to get hit. And the vibration and, uh, I guess, shock that it caused the ground was actually causing the phone to vibrate on, at the door I was at. So at, the, at this point, I really don't know what's going on. I have no idea that the building came down. But now the building I'm in, which is two World Financial Center, starts filling up with what I think is smoke. Of course, people are starting to panic. I'm 
I'm in there with another sergeant, Mike Kozowski from the NYPD, another detective sergeant, and we end up hooking up with a few civilians. The place is filling up with smoke, and we're trying to move back. We're trying to use other exits, and the exits are locked, and we can't get out of them. We're in there, uh, in reality, less than 20 minutes, but I gotta tell you, it felt like much longer than that. We had to round up some people, electricity didn't went down, you know, all the things I learned from the Marine Corps back in 19, from 1980 going on, all kicked in. Uh, you know, I took account, I appointed people to be the front of the line, the back of the line, until we can crawl through the building and find our way out. I didn't know where I came out of. Because I really don't know what's happened at this point. And I actually exited the building in the same door that I entered the building at. It's just that now the World Trade, the South Tower was gone. And it just, it, I, I, I just didn't understand it. And I remember turning to some firemen and saying like, you know, where's the building? Even when those people were jumping, I remember thinking, wow, if they just had the courage to hang out, they'll be saved. Because I've never been to a fire where the New York City Fire Department didn't put out the goddamn fire. And that's when it really, really hit me of what the situation was. I tried to form a line with as many cops as I could and start pushing people back north of from the, actually getting them off the rubble of the South Tower. I was right in the center of Vestry and West Street when the North Tower begins to come down. Now, what I don't, all I see is bigger puffs of smoke coming out of the tower, kind of like uh, if you had a barbecue going and you drop something in the coals and that puff, puff of smoke. I, I looked up and I saw that and I, I just knew something was wrong. I don't know, they say the tower took around 9 or 10 seconds to collapse, I'm not really sure. I, I ran, I don't know, 50, 40 yards, 60 yards, and I just ran north and just jumped into a curb. So I'm, I'm digging myself into the 6 inches of defilade, because that's all it's offered at this point. Putting my feet towards the blast, and I remember I don't know what to do with my hands. <laughs> I just covered my balls. <laughs> I actually saw a vision of my boys encouraging me to come forward. I actually felt like a swoop of the hand pushing me forward. Getting me basically out of the kill zone into a survival zone. And then as the, as the building came down, um, it was like hurricane winds coming. I could see people uh, flying. I saw a car flip. The next thing I know, I had trouble breathing. I was pissed off that I didn't like put my hands over my mouth. And then it came a point in time where I just could not breathe at all. I took out handfuls, handfuls of, of, of debris and dust and cement out of my mouth. And I, I, I got completely buried. I mean by buried, I'm, I'm talking about buried in just dirt. Three inches of dirt. It felt like it was 18 inches of dirt when it happened. And then it became completely dark. I couldn't figure out how to how could this go dark? I know I was outside. I'm thinking I'm dead. I'm checking myself for injuries. I don't think I'm dead. And I knew that there was a cyclone fence on the other side of the sidewalk. So I crawled over to that sidewalk, put my hands on the fence, and then I just walked my way north. 
and I ended up bumping into a guy. And the guy's unconscious, and then he becomes conscious while I'm talking to him. And then I realize he's a fireman, because he's got his, he's got his uh, emergency gear on him. And this was only a few feet from where I was, and he wasn't there when I, when I could still see, and I ducked into that defilade, which means he actually blew past me. He just held on to me. We just walked up, and we walked a couple blocks until we finally got into the light. There was lots of... Uh, Civilians who are extremely helpful. <laughs> if you're ever a cop in New York, civilians aren't known for being helpful. So it was, was kind of nice, and they offered me water. And I remember a woman dressed in some sort of medical attire, or unless she was a nurse or doctor. Everybody's looking at me like I'm the creature from the Dark Lagoon, because I'm completely covered. Go drive back up to my house, go in and take a shower, and now I'm, I'm, I shower, and when I'm showering, all that dust is solidifying and turning into cement because it was all pulverized uh, cement. Every September sucks for me, uh, I gotta tell you. Uh, and it's worse in New York because you're totally reminded of New York. I spent a September in Iraq and a September in Afghanistan. Those were actually pretty good because there's no need to remind everybody about September 11th when they're actually fighting the enemy. September 10th. 2009, I was blown up by an IAD myself, so I, uh, it's, it was a good distraction. Tonight, I can report to the American people and to the world. The United States has conducted an operation that killed Osama bin Laden, the leader of Al-Qaeda. I was very happy with our government's response that they that uh, President Obama and his advisors uh, had the balls and the intestinal fortitude to do the right thing and, and cut the troops loose to do what they had to do. A little disappointed in the uh, reaction of the American people, some of them thinking that, you know, okay, we've, the war should be over, we should pull back all our troops, that we didn't know there's no longer need to fight. You know, the fact that people thought this was really a strategic victory, which in my mind it was not at all. It was just a, a, an emotional victory. Uh, similar, to, and, I, and I, if you don't mind the analogy, to the raising of the uh, flag at Iwo Jima. Didn't do anything for the war effort, the battle effort. At, the, at that time, there was still a lot of fighting to be done at Mount Saribachi and uh, on, on the island of Iwo Jima. And I never really think of it as anniversaries. It's just September comes up and it just starts reminding me. I remind me of the day. You talk about putting a positive spin on this, a negative spin. I got to tell you, even that day, you go back 10 years ago, I saw a lot of positive things. As negative as that attack was, as negative as it was, people being killed. I mean, I saw a country come together. I saw a president respond the way I would like to see a president respond. Um, Chaplain Owens coming from... Montana. I worked the last day of the rescue, and I remember uh, uh, a snow caving team, or whatever they call it, avalanche team. And it was just so interesting to me that, you know, their skill set, they were willing to bring their skill set from Colorado or wherever they were from to New York to help us try to find people in the debris.